This is Julian Ortiz, and you're listening to The Big O Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of The Big O Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Ortiz, and today I am joined by NFL Network Insider, Westchester County native and grill master, Ian Rappaport. Ian, how are you doing today? What's going on, man? I'm doing good. How are you? Not too bad. I'm sure due to COVID-19, life is uh, is pretty hectic, uh, but it seems like you yeah. guys are having a lot of fun at home with the family. How has COVID-19 affected you guys uh, as far as you being at home more often than not? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's always crazy during the season. This has been as crazy, but for different reasons, right? Like, I, I think usually during the football season, I mean, it's I don't travel a ton. Like, on Sundays, I'm home. But I always go away for owners' meetings. This year, I obviously, I didn't. That's three trips during the year that um, that I didn't get to do. You know, but so that's one part of it. So on, on one hand, I can kind of focus on work a little more and just be home. On the other hand, the boys are home a lot more. I have two, two boys. The boys are home a lot more um, than they ever were. You know, like they go to school half day. So at 1230, at least they're home for the day doing work, but still home. It's led to a lot of juggling. Um, it's led to a lot of time away from work responsibilities, but also a lot more time spending time with them so um that part of it is is good um it's been more juggling but i wouldn't say it's it's not that much worse it's just very different fair enough and uh we're gonna note that phone check number one the thing is when you do a podcast with an nfl insider like ian rapaport he's gonna have to be glued to his phone uh and so i do appreciate you taking the time uh to talk to us today now, for anyone who does follow you on social media, especially Instagram, we've seen the amazing meals created by you and your wife, Leah. You know, was barbecuing and smoking food always a passion or is this a new hobby thanks to COVID-19? Um, I would say smoking has been a passion for a long time. I mean, I spent two years in Mississippi and three years in Alabama. And probably in my time in Alabama, I kind of got real into it. I learned what a smoker was. I mean, I didn't know that it was a thing at all <laughs> right um before i before i went down there before i you, know, you go to some of the great barbecue places and you're kind of like how do they do this like why are these ribs like nothing i've ever tried and that was kind of before the whole like smoker um sort of revolution you know i mean everything everyone wants to be wants to have a smoker now kind of went crazy um so i kind of got into it then and one thing i learned is you do not have to be a genius to smoke great meats like you don't have, you just have to kind of figure out a way that works for you and be very, very patient. Um, and I can be patient, especially because I do a lot of things. You set it up and you kind of wait and you hang out and you mess with it a little bit, but mostly you just relax. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I've been into it for a while. Um, and I would say, you know, the one thing that's changed a little bit is my wife is also into it now. So while I will handle like the, you know, we still at this point have a charcoal smoker. Um you know, I will handle the charcoal and, and all that. She will sometimes do the rub where she will um, take the membrane off of its ribs. She will crosshatch it if we're doing the picanha, like all that kind of, so she will kind of get into it too, which I was not expecting. Um, but then sometimes, you know, I got two small boys, like I mentioned, I mean, they will, as a way of sort of giving them ownership a little bit, they will paint the barbecue sauce on the ribs. Oh, and there we go. What I found is it makes them much more likely to eat it. 
because they took part in it. So um, I've always sort of been into it, but recently it's been much more of a family project, I would say. Right. Now it's interesting because I want to go to your past a little bit. You brought up Mississippi and Alabama. Let's go back to the beginning. So I mentioned, you know, you're from Westchester County. What was your relationship and interest in sports growing up as a kid? Um, I always played. I mean, I played baseball all year round when I was a kid. Um, I didn't play football until I was in middle school, but um, I played, you know, always baseball and tennis and golf, I guess. Um, Still play golf a lot. And, you know, I would say I got into football in middle school and, and in high school, I played three sports. So I was football, wrestling and baseball. And I was always, you know, I was always really into sports. I was in sports and writing. Those were things I liked. Um, so when I got to college, I played baseball for a semester, was cut from the team at Columbia, uh, and then became a lightweight rower and did that for four years. Um, so I was always, you know, I, I was very busy. I did a lot of things, always into sports, but always into writing. And one thing I found is to do this job, even the job I have now, you have to like the reporting more than the sports. You have right. to like the writing more than the sports, because if you think, first of all, you can get another job and make enough money to watch sports. That's not, you know, watching sports is not the most exciting thing. You're right. also, you know, people think getting into sports is great. Like you're not going to be hanging out with Tom Brady. That's not what working in sports <laughs> is. It's just not, you know, um, that's fair. So you have to like the job more than you like sports. And I always was like that with writing. And I would say I'm the same way with reporting. Now, it's interesting because, you know, you mentioned you went to Columbia University and you studied history, right? Like that was the plan. And then the idea you were, you were going to go to law school and then somehow, you know, writing for the Columbia Daily Specter sort of changed the trajectory just a little bit of what you wanted to do and sort of led you down the path of focusing on journalism. What was that like to sort of change routes? I know you gave yourself like a, I believe it was like a two-year window to see if it was going to amount to anything. What was that journey like transitioning from, you know, preparing to go to law school to getting into journalism? Yeah, I mean, it was, first of all, it was great because I found something I liked. And one of my like sort of guiding principles in all this, it's really not very complicated. It's just find something you like. Right. And you'll, if you do something you like, you will do it better. Um, and I think that's one of the things... Um, you know, that's one of the things that always has stood out to me is people always ask, you know, what should I major in if, if I want to be a reporter? I'm like, find something you like and do it. If you major in something you like, you'll do it better and you go out to a job and you'll learn how to do it, I guess. Um, I always, so I majored in history because I liked it. I liked the stories, just liked it. And I wrote for the Daily Spectator because I like to write. And what I found was I like seeing my name in the paper. I like seeing my face in the paper. I like people around campus recognizing me. Um, I like the interview process and the research process. There's a lot of fun stuff. Um, and so I think all that was good. I got out of college and yeah, like you said, I basically gave myself two years. Like, all right, if I can make a career out of this in two years uh, and I was working part-time at the journal news, that was the best I got out of college. Um, you know, making like, you know, less than $25,000 a year. Um, living in my parents' house. Like, if I can get a real job from this, then I'll be good. Otherwise, I'll go to law school. And about two years, very close to the day when I started, I got the job at the Clarion Ledger in Jackson, Mississippi. And I was like, okay, I can, I can be a reporter. This is good. Now, when you were preparing to get into journalism, was there anything that you particularly wanted to follow? So you obviously ended up going towards the sports 
part uh, section of it. I mean, you were part of the um, sports department of the uh, Journal News, as you had mentioned. And so you end up, you know, going to Jackson Cleary and Ledger to cover the Mississippi uh, State Bulldogs. Was it only going to be sports that you got into or were you just wanting to do journalism in particular? It was only going to be sports. Um, and that was, I was like, all right, here's what I want to do. I want to be a sports reporter. I want to cover a team. I liked it at the journal news. That's what I did out of college. I'm like, all right, if it's, if I can somehow get a job covering something full time and I'll go there and I'll see if I can make that my career. And I was stunned that they hired me at the Clarion Ledger still am. I was 24. I didn't even have a full-time job. I mean, I had a part-time job. I did a lot of full-time responsibilities, but I worked, you know, I worked endlessly, but I only got paid for five hours a day. So I was right. like, maybe they're not going to, they're going to look down on that. But, um, you know, somehow they, somehow they hired me uh, and I still can't believe it, but that was, that was always kind of what I wanted to do was tell these sports stories. You know, I could have done, non-sports stuff it probably would have been a lot easier to get a job um but i was sticking with sports because again like i wanted to do something that i liked now it's interesting because you're a new york guy right so you're from new york you're going to college in new york and then all of a sudden you're packing your bags and you're starting on a little bit of a journey you start by moving out to mississippi in order to cover the mississippi state uh, Bulldogs, what was that like packing up and just starting on a brand new journey in a job starting at, you know, 24 years old, as you said, it was amazing. Everybody should do it. Seriously. I mean, it was awkward and weird. And like, I was a New Yorker, you know, with like gel in my hair and <laughs> Jewish and went down to Mississippi. Um, and it was weird, but I loved it. I mean, I met my wife there. Um, I Mississippi has forever, forever influenced me in a million different ways. Um, I loved covering Mississippi state. I love the coach Sylvester Croom is just the greatest. Um, I, I loved every part of it. And I, I, I feel like everybody should do it. Go somewhere weird, be willing to move, leave your family, leave your friends, go figure it out. Um, go sit at a bar by yourself and have dinner and don't care about it. Go meet some friends, you know, like it's, it's all strange, but it was an important part of growing up and learning to be a human, let alone a professional human. Um, so I tell everyone they should do it. Go move somewhere weird and figure it out. And it's interesting because like you meet your wife, right? Like you, you don't necessarily meet your wife if you don't go to Starkville to cover Mississippi State. And so, you know, you meet Leah and now you go to the Birmingham uh, News to cover Alabama, uh, the Crimson Tide and go from you know, an up and coming kind of writer to a widely read reporter for college football because you're now covering one of the greatest collegiate, if not all time coaches in Nick Saban. What was that like to be able to cover someone in really what was only maybe like your second full-time job as a sports writer? Well, that was another one that I thought I had no chance of getting. Um, it was crazy. Like that was, and that was a very, unlike journalism message boards and stuff like that was a a very widely discussed job opening. And I'm like, I got no chance, you know? <laughs> um, and I was young. I was, you know, much younger than everyone else on the beat at Alabama. Everyone was in their forties and I was still 26, you know? Um, but it was interesting too, because when I got the job, it was Mike Shula, just a regular old coach. It was fine, but you know, and it was good. It was, I was really happy. It was a good job. And then, 
Nick Saban got hired and my world exploded and I became like one of the most widely read writers in the country. And I wasn't totally ready for that, honestly, but I figured it out. I mean, that's what happened to you. you either figure it out or you don't. And I figured it out. Um, and it's also, I mean, one of the more ridiculous things about journalism is it's almost like if you cover a better program, you can, you get considered to be a better writer. I don't, I don't know why it's just always the way it is. So right. Like I, it's like, I became a big like journalism prospect. I mean, I was doing a good job. Don't get me wrong. Breaking a lot of stories, writing good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But covering Alabama, everyone took a much harder look at me because it was Alabama. When in reality, like of course. if I was covering Vanderbilt, probably would have been the same. Now I will say this, like dealing with the pressure of covering Alabama will prepare you for literally anything. So that should not be overlooked either. Which is interesting that you say that because like on the progression of your journey, you go from, you know, writing for your college, Jackson Ledger, then you go to Birmingham News to cover Mike Shula and then Nick Saban. And the next step on the journey is just as crazy, if not even crazier, when you start working for the Boston Herald to cover the New England Patriots as their beat reporter. And so now you go from someone who's breaking news like Nick Saban, who always has something to say, to the Fort Knox yeah. of all head coaches in Bill Belichick, you know, what was that transition like going from being able to turn a soundbite into a major story to trying to just find a lead into a story because Bill Belichick keeps everything very close to the vest. Not as different as you would think. And actually when I, you know, I made a big pitch to the sports editor at the Boston Herald, a guy by the name of Hank Hernowitz. Um, and my pitch was, and I, you know, they said you needed NFL experience. I obviously did not have any before covering right. the Patriots. And that was hard. You know, it took a year, a full year to really learn, like, how to do it. Who are the agents? Who do you need to talk to? How do you, how do you find out an agent's phone number? I mean, there's, you know, it was, it was, how do you deal, like, how do you small talk with players at their locker? Like, what do you say? What do you talk about? I and mean, there's a million different things. What are you watching for? A million different things about covering an NFL beat that I had to figure out. But it was, there was definitely some similarities because, you know, Saban talks a lot himself, but no one else talks in his program. So you had to find ways to get news without using assistance as sources, without anyone in the program talking. How do you do it? Right. How do you, a guy gets injured, you think, or a guy's transferring or leaving the program or there's violations, like, how do you get it? And, you know, that's one of the things I used to cover the Patriots is how do you figure out how to get info when no one is offering it to you. And that skill was an extremely important one that I kind of honed at Alabama. And that's interesting because like that skill that you're talking about is extremely important for someone breaking in, right? You don't necessarily have the ins and outs if you're just getting into it. As you said, getting to know agents, very similar to people who are doing podcasts now. People are a little bit more accessible with, you know, email information or text information on their profiles. But for people to navigate as a relative nobody to get in touch with some people, you have to find the ways to sort of finagle it and at the same time, create a bubble of trust because it would take one incident for you to report something out or misspeak about something for you to lose an entire locker room. And for someone like you, like there goes your job because no one's going to talk to you about anything. What was, what was the, best relationship in your time covering the Patriots that you had with either a single agent or a player or a coach that really helped you uh, elevate your game as a reporter? Well, I, I would just say covering Bill Belichick taught me so much. I mean, it's incredible. Like 
And, you know, he and I had a good relationship. I wouldn't say we were best friends. I don't know if he's best friends with anyone, but we definitely had a good relationship. <laughs> and two things I appreciated about Bill, still appreciate. One is when you ask him a football question, he will tell you, like he will really tell you. And, you know, sometimes it takes a while, but if you really want to learn about football, like he'll, he'll talk about football like you've never heard it. I always appreciated right. that. Like people see him at the, the lectern post game and he's kind of, you know, he's not like that in real life. He really is very expansive right. and interesting. Um, and then the other thing is when you requested him one-on-one, -on -one, you could usually get him. That was what I was surprised about. Like, you know, Hey, look, uh, I'm, I'm trying to report on this topic. It's a little sensitive. I'd rather not ask in front of other reporters. Can I just get you off to the side? And it'd be like, yeah, you get five minutes, you know, and so I would always ask. Um, I asked for a lot of things, but, um, you know, I always appreciated that with him there. You know, you see him at the lectern one day and he kind of looks like, you know, he doesn't want to talk to anyone. But if you really take the time to try to figure it out, he'll be very accommodating. I like that. And so you now go from program, collegiate program to collegiate program to the NFL and covering the Patriots. What inspired the jump to go from a beat writer to being on television for the NFL network in 2012. They called. I had no, Fair. I had no interest. Uh, I mean, not that I had no interest. I didn't even know it was something you could be interested in. I didn't know it was a possibility. I mean, I had done TV a little bit locally in Boston. Um, you, know, you drive over and you sit for 10 minutes during a segment and talk about the Patriots and whatever. I did some of that. It was fine. I, I, I liked being on TV fine. Um, I didn't aspire to be, I just kind of did it. It was, and make a little extra money. Like it was great. Um, NFL Network called and interviewed me. And then the interview went well at the Super Bowl. The interview went well. And then they tried to hire me and it was all very strange. Like I remember so vividly leaving that meeting, which I didn't even know was a job interview at the Super Bowl with the NFL <laughs> Network executives and call my wife and being like, I think I'm crazy. Something's happening here, and I don't know, but, like, they, I know they talk to a lot of people. I get it. But, like, that was – something might have just happened. I think we might have to move. Like, it was – I was, like, stunned, but it all happened really fast, and I didn't seek out any of it, um, which is definitely one of the stranger things. But, again, like, a lot of strange things have happened to me, so I guess it makes sense. I mean, that's got to be when – you, when you don't even know that you're being wooed, that's got to be – you know, one of the best experiences, especially for someone who didn't really start out in journalism and to have a lot of these things happen in what looks like a very short period yeah. of time, right? Starting in 2004, all the way down to 2012, like you're, you're 11 years deep and you you're working for some of the biggest programs covering the biggest stories. At one point, did you know that it was going to just be football? That even though you played baseball and you played other sports, that football was then going to be the focus moving um, forward. When I got the Patriots job, and I, you know, I'm very fortunate to cover football. I love football. I actually, I was probably a bigger baseball fan growing up, but I love covering football. You know, the build up to the big game, the, the like, you really get way more into the game planning, breakdowns, X's and O's everything is much bigger in football because there's less of it. Right. So one play becomes a bigger deal because there's, yeah. you know, not that many of them. Um, uh, hold on one second. Don't mind me. I'm going to tweet something. 
Just hang on. There we go. See, this is this is what happens when getting a podcast with an NFL insider. He's got to still do his job. Breaking news right now on Twitter. Joe Burrow had surgery. There we go. There we go. Surgery. All right. Anyway, so um, I so I was, you know, I covered one great thing. I still love it at Mississippi State and at Alabama was you covered, um, you know, you covered football, basketball, and baseball. So you'd go football, right. and then you'd cover, you'd kind of pick up the conference season in basketball, and then basketball, then you'd cover baseball. You know, go to like Clemson for a five-day regional was like the greatest assignment ever. I mean, it was amazing. You know, you just hang out, you watch baseball in the sun, or at the Claren Ledger, I was the Mississippi State beat writer, but Ole Miss was also covered by the newspaper. And they'd be like, hey, Ian, Ole Miss is playing in a super regional. Do you mind, you know, staying in Oxford for three days covering baseball? They're like, greatest ever. Like, what could possibly be better than that, you know? Um, so that was all awesome. And then what it allowed me to do was apply a lot of places. Like, I remember there was a Kentucky job opening at the, you know, Lexington, or no, was it the, the Louisville Courier-Journal? You know, like, I applied for a lot of stuff. I just happened to get the Patriots job, and I was like, all right, sweet because I like covering football and then I get to do this now. Um, and then when I got to NFL network, I was like, all right, I guess I'm just going to do football. And it's great because again, like football is the biggest and it means the most. And I love covering football. Um, so I got very fortunate to be able to just do that. And the NFL has done a really good job of marketing it now as a 12 month timeline, right? Before, right. you know, you have off season, you know, you have a little bit of downtime, but the NFL has done a great job when it comes to, you know, the season, the Super Bowl, getting ready for the draft, the combine, all of these things. It really is a 12-month job now with all of these different people who are reporting on stories. How important is it as an NFL insider to be the first to break a story as opposed to, you know, just retweeting what someone else has already done? Yeah, I mean, I would say... Um it's essential. It's my job. You know, it's like, I'll, and, and sometimes it makes it uncomfortable. Like I'm having to chase things, you know, like I, I ended up breaking the uh, Bud Dupree ACL. Okay. Well, all the people you're talking to about Bud Dupree tearing his ACL are all upset about it. Obviously these right. are all people invested in, whether it's team, whether it's agents, whether it's friends, whatever, they're all, they're all upset and they're all invested. So I'm having to get information on them while these people are very upset about it. that's not always fun but right and so when people say something like oh you know or you call about some bad thing and people are like can't believe you're calling about this i'm like this is my job this is it right here like finding out news that is not yet reported or that people don't right. want reported that's my job and it's not always fun but that's what it is um and so yeah being first is important being right is more important um you know, like the when I, I had the Lamar Jackson testing positive for COVID on Thanksgiving night, and that was a big story, and it got a lot of attention. Um, it would have gotten a lot more attention if it was wrong. So the very right. very fast process of making sure that is a hundred percent right was intense, because you just can't be wrong. You just cannot be. Um, so being first is very important, but you know, being right is more important. And there's been plenty of times when I finished second for something because I just didn't quite feel comfortable enough to tweet it. Uh, and that has to be okay because you just have to be right. 
and we talked about integrity when it comes to your position, right? And that and that's really what it is. More so being right than being first, as you put. Is there anything that you sort of put in your, you know, your top three things that you got out there that you will be known for or stand out as being memorable as far as you chasing down information in order to break that news? Um, I mean, there's definitely been some big ones that I've broken. Um, honestly, it's hard to remember um, because not saying like that. I'm just saying like I remember yeah. the ones I lost way more than the ones I won. Um, of course. A couple that stand out though. I mean, broke I broke Lovey Smith getting fired in Chicago, which I like Lovey a lot and that was tough, but um, that was probably my first biggest story with NFL Network before I became an insider. It kind of led me right. to think like, all right, I can compete on this level. A lot of people were chasing it. It was a big one. Um, you know, breaking that, I think, kind of told me like, all right, this is a job you can do. Um, I remember when I broke Deshaun Watson tearing his ACL a couple of years back, it was in practice and no one had, no one knew about it. You know, it was all... Wow. It was just a complete and utter surprise. And I had a typo in my tweet. Um, so it got retweeted, you know, 15,000 times in 20 minutes. And I had a typo and I could never, and I still can't fix it. I'm just like, yeah. these are the things I think about. <laughs> no, no edit function on no Twitter. No edit it's, function on Twitter. Once it's out there, once it's out there, especially for a guy like you, once it's out there and it starts to get liked and shared, it's like, oh, well, yeah. it, it is what it is. To this day, no one has ever brought up that I have a typo in that tweet. It's still, these people just don't read. But anyway, those are those are some of the, you know, and there's been some other, like, there's been some trades where I've known about, nurtured it, kept it quiet, and broken. And those are always really, really fun. Now, I think, uh, you know, obviously the NBA has Woj. Um, and the NFL really has, like, this, this two-headed monster. One you in particular, and then, you know, the other guy that works at a, at a rival uh, station. Do you find now that you're not necessarily in the scrum, but you're doing everything from home in your basement or, you know, after you spritz your ribs just a little bit that you're on your phone a little bit more with COVID than you would have been, you know, if things were still happening the way that they, they usually are? You don't have to spritz ribs. What you do is you wrap them in <laughs> – you, I mean, you do spritz some things, um, okay. Like brisket, you could spritz, um, but ribs, Damn, that's what ribs I was thinking. More of. rapid, but anyway. Um, I, I try to be level-headed about the COVID stuff because my life is, is really can all things considered fine and good, right? A lot of people have it a lot worse, but it has been frustrating because I wasn't able to get out during training camp. I'm not able to see the people right. I usually see. I'm not able to make new relationships. Um, so that is frustrating. Um, and so I am on my phone more. Uh, it's fine, but I've definitely lost some of the personal feel of some of it. Like, I don't know if it's affected my job, but I like the relationships that I make in my job. So that's been right. kind of frustrating to not be able to not be able to see people. Like if I want, you know, the Jets uh, or Giants had a Thursday night game or a Monday night game, I could go at some point and I can't now. That's frustrating. But again, like right. I try to be level headed about it because my life is only minimally altered, I would say. And for a lot of people, it's a lot worse. Now, when we look at the biggest storylines of 2020, obviously when it comes to football, we're going to look at COVID-19 
and how games had to be switched to the bye weeks had to be switched games right. had to be extended this week was no different with baltimore pittsburgh being moved day after day after day and finally actually being able to to be completed L- looking looking back at just you know where we are now to where we started what would you say has been the biggest storyline as far as how the NFL has been able to adapt to the situation? Um, I think to me, the biggest thing, well, two things. One, the NFL and NFLPA are working well together, better than I've ever seen them, which is amazing. Um, Seeing them do this, be in lockstep on these protocols has been fantastic. Um, Things have gotten stricter and everyone has adapted to that. And that has helped keep this thing going that's been good the other thing that stands out to me maybe more than anything else is everyone has been flexible like there was a football game on a wednesday afternoon and everybody was fine and played no one was no one says like oh disrupts my practice schedule or like i don't get my lift in when i wanted like look man it's 2020 like who cares whatever you had planned it's probably going to change you won't be able to practice like you want you have to practice in masks yeah it all sucks but Let's just play football and be safe. And seeing everyone kind of adapt to that has been impressive because these are not always, you know, not everybody always wants to do that. Um, so I think that has been really a really cool thing to see. And it's it's been great because we haven't had to see the cancellation of games to this point. We're knocking on wood, and so you know, obviously, twenty twenty has been a strange year. What do you think? the NFL looks at doing if you had to predict the future in your, in your crystal ball, do you think that they change anything if we're in a similar spot come 2021 for next season? I know there were talks about, you know, bubbling teams or finding ways to better isolate teams when they're on the road or traveling. What would you think would be the logical next step to improve on how 2020? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's, I mean, I don't think it's going to be like this in 2021. Um, I think what's been amazing is how they've adjusted on the fly. Cut down on travel, parties, masks on the sidelines, intensive protocols all the way through. I mean, it's getting worse in the country, and football's feeling it. But yeah. doing the intensive protocols, making sure that guys don't get near each other, except when they're practicing and they're wearing masks, like that works. It all works. You just got to do it. I mean, that's one thing Dr. Alan Silsa said. Like 90% doing it is just not good enough. Um, so yeah. I would say they've adjusted on the fly and, and figured it out and, you know, Hopefully we're not in this situation next year because if we are, oh my God. <laughs> well, so it actually brings up my last thing that I want to ask you about before we let you go. Um, you've talked about writing a book. If you got the time to sit down and be able to do it. Has COVID-19 with a little bit of different time, I don't want to say free time because it's not really right. free. Have you started or given any thought to really sitting down, putting pen to paper or on your keyboard? and getting to write that book. Yeah, I mean, I, I would really like to. Um, there's a couple of different things in my head that I've thought about. Um, and, you know, I've met with some some book agents and other and editors and other people. Um, problem is now, like, not that it's a problem, but the kids are always around. So there's not a lot of, like, right. you know, there's nothing to do but sit there myself. Because, like, on Tuesdays are usually my day off during the week. And at 12.30, at the latest, the kids come home. So... You know, that's one thing right. about COVID is I don't think there's, I mean, there's not a lot of like, all right, I'm just going to sit and watch TV time. Like, I cannot remember the last time I just by myself during the day sat and watched TV. Like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. It's been a very long time. Um, 
which is okay. But so at some point, maybe when we get through all this, I will. I look forward to doing that, hopefully. Yeah, we look forward to hopefully being able to read the life of an NFL insider from coast to coast with Ian Rappaport. Um, Listen, I just want to say thank you for your time today. Um, You can follow Ian on Twitter and on Instagram at at rapsheet. You can see Ian every Sunday on NFL Network's NFL Game Day morning at 9 a.m. For my guest, Ian Rappaport, I'm your host, Julian Ortiz. Make sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast with full episodes available on YouTube. Thank you, Ian, for your time today. Uh, Stay safe and have a great day, everyone.